Welcome to Behind the Line, where we pull back the curtain on the challenges facing first responders and frontline workers. The work you do is unique, and so are the stresses that go with it. Join me as we tackle key issues to reduce risks for burnout, and as we work to support you in doing the job you love without sacrificing being the kind of person you want to be. Hey, and welcome back to Behind the Line. I'm your host, Lindsay Foss. I'm a clinical counselor specializing in trauma therapy, and after years working with first responders and frontline workers around issues like burnout, compassion fatigue, PTSD, and related OSIs, I've become a passionate wellness advocate and educator for those who sacrifice so much for our communities out there on the front lines. Behind the Line is a place for us to talk about the real-life, behind-the-scenes challenges facing you on the front lines. I created this podcast with the hope of bringing easy access to skills for wellness, allowing you to find greater sustainability both on the job and off. We are back and diving into week three of our series on daring leadership. We're continuing to dig into the research by Brene Brown discussed in her book, Dare to Lead, and we're working at empowering you with tools in an effort to cultivate a new generation of leaders who can work at changing our very broken systems from the inside out. So far, we've tackled shining a light on the brokenness of the systems we operate within and identified the need for a path forward. We've identified that good leadership, daring leadership, is reflected by those who work to engage with four skill sets that are teachable and doable. These include showing up courageously with a willingness to rumble with vulnerability, to live into our values, to brave trust, and to learn to rise. Last week, we started unpacking the first of these skill sets, rumbling with vulnerability, and today is an extension of that. Packed into the concept of vulnerability and the willingness to rumble with our own vulnerability and the vulnerability of others is this core linchpin piece, empathy, and that's our focus for today. Empathy is not a new word to most of us. We probably have some ideas of what we think it means and areas where we believe we're already using it. That said, there is something remarkable about empathy, which is the frequency with which people fail to fully understand what it's all about and believe they're engaging empathically, but actually aren't. There's also something to be said for those who think that they get empathy, but don't tend to use it because it seems like a soft skill. Even if you think you're an empathy expert, I think you'll find that you'll still get something out of listening today. So stick with me. Our goal for today is to break down what empathy actually is, what it isn't, and how to make use of it meaningfully, particularly in broken systems and for the purpose of engaging in daring leadership and cultivating awesome cultures within workplace systems. You ready? Okay. Let's start with what empathy is. Empathy is the genuine effort to connect with how someone else is feeling about an experience. It's an attempt to feel what they feel. When we talk about daring leadership, this idea of seeing the potential in people and having the courage to help realize their potential, we're fundamentally acknowledging the value of people. People are at the core of what we lead and the directions we hope to go as an organization or system. We can't meet the organizational level goals we have without people who are on board 
and working to move collaboratively in the same direction. As leaders, wherever we might be on the spectrum of leadership, we need to keep primary that when we care well for the people we lead, they show up and feel connected to the work to keep things going. How we go about courageously supporting people in reaching their potential involves a willingness to rumble with vulnerability and openness to navigating when things aren't going so well. It means seeing people as people, not just automatons who show up, punch a card, get down to business, and then leave. Empathy is an absolute requirement to help the people we lead feel seen, heard, known, and valued, and creates an access point to supporting their potential that nothing else can. It's a foundational skill set for creating connection, and as a result, commitment to courageously showing up day after day, offering our best selves to the work and the direction of the organization and system. So what if you're not in a leadership position yet? Well, let's clarify that leadership and management aren't the same thing. When we show up in our work, in our families, in our lives, we have a continual invitation to engage with others from a space that is leadership, where we work to see people and what they bring, the potential they have, and we come alongside to encourage, support, and allow that potential to thrive. Whatever your role is right this minute, I promise you that you have opportunities to demonstrate leadership. The scale of leadership might be big or small. At the end of the day, whatever the scope or scale, people just want to be seen, heard, known, and valued for who they are and what they uniquely bring to the table. So wherever you are at in your career, developing empathy skills and cultivating solid leadership only stands to benefit you and those around you. And like I've said before, it's something people are craving. And when they experience it from you, they'll want more of it. They'll want to know how to engage in it too. And this is how we make systemic change from the inside out. So let's address for a moment what empathy is not. Empathy is not sympathy or competing or well-intentioned advice giving. These can all happen under the guise of trying to empathize, but they are all empathy misses. Brene actually has a really awesome little video you can find on YouTube about this exact differentiation. It's cartoony and funny even in its seriousness, and everyone on earth should watch it because we can all connect to the experience of the characters. We've all been there. I'll link to it in the show notes. You can jump to it there. I promise it's the best two and a half minutes you could spend today. Sympathy is a cognitive level understanding of what someone else has gone through. It says, oh man, that's bad. And it offers very little else. Sympathy pays lip service to I heard you, but then it distances and separates us from connection to that person's story or experience it often diminishes the suffering by offering an at least, like at least you got paid for that call, or at least you had help when things spiraled out of control. Sympathy tries to take care of our own discomfort, really digging into the other person's hardship and story by keeping it at arm's length. 
indicating getting it without really stepping into it to get it. Another thing that happens when we share hard things or have hard things shared with us is that we can find ourselves in competition. Like suffering is somehow finite and we're racing for the I have it hardest medal, which side note is the worst thing to try to win at ever. It often is not intended as a competition, but it will come to feel like one as the conversation wears on. It's often intended in an effort to connect with the similarity of experiences or the overlap in facing difficult times, but it robs the sharer of connection. It can turn into a weird pissing contest where we're one-upping each other's struggles rather than really connecting to the heart of the difficulty and the emotions involved in what we're facing. My guess is you know exactly what I'm talking about because this happens a lot in helping profession workplaces where one person starts to debrief something hard in their day and then someone else says, that's tough, but yesterday I had to dot, 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 and then it just spirals from there. And the last major way we can confuse empathy is by advice giving. Even when well-intentioned, Advice giving in lieu of or before we've offered solid empathy rarely does anything helpful. It feels hard to receive and is often used to fix the problem before we've really joined in feeling the problem. It serves to try to not go into the feelings and often comes from a desire to not have the person feel uncomfortable feelings themselves, let alone join them in it ourselves. When someone shares their struggles, they need to feel fully heard and understood before they'll be open to advice. Let me tell you, as the therapist in the room, that this is true. The feelings are too big and get in the way of problem solving. Until their feelings are heard, validated, and held well, they preoccupy too much space. This is why we need empathy and why advice giving shouldn't be our go-to skill when someone's sharing with us about the hard things they're facing. Empathy hears the story and the feelings embedded in the story, and it digs around in ourselves for our own experiences of that same emotion or set of emotions, and then it responds connectively from that space of, oh man, I hear you. I've been in that feeling and it's so hard. I'm here with you and I'm so glad you told me. Empathy isn't about connecting to the experience itself, but rather to the feelings that belie the experience. It means being in it with the person and feeling aspects of what they are feeling, which means we have to make ourselves vulnerable to discomfort to meet the other person in their vulnerability and discomfort. Empathy is courageous, brave work. It is getting in the ring alongside someone else who is thick in it themselves. Within systems and organizations, there are all kinds of hard things that people are tangled up in. Some of it might be personal issues that come along with them into the workplace, but there is plenty of it that's built into the brokenness of the systems and workplaces themselves, like staffing shortages, pay issues, cutbacks, layoffs, stress and medical leaves, staff suspensions or reprimands, and so much more. These kinds of issues cause staff to worry, feel insecure in their own positions, 
create outrage on behalf of coworkers and all kinds of related emotional turmoil that impacts the dynamics of the workplace, job satisfaction, and productivity and performance. Often the problem isn't just that these things happen, it's how they're handled, which is often silence. Management level staff make big sweeping decisions that have far reaching impacts and take little if any time to acknowledge the impact, discuss the concerns, or work to support those who are feeling the weight of it. It's a carry on carrying on mentality, but it leaves people on the front lines twisted up in uncertainty, anxiety, frustration, and so on. And this contributes to burnout because you already do a hard job. The job is hard enough on its own without these additional organizational level pressures. Wouldn't it be like a breath of fresh air to at least have a place to talk about it? And I don't mean just complaining about it with your coworkers where you vent and feel more frustrated than when you started. I mean a space where the people leading really take the time to notice the impact that the decisions are having and make a conscientious and intentional effort to sit in the discomfort alongside those who are struggling, to hear out the issues that the decisions are bringing up, the feelings that these provoke, and that they worked to hold empathy for that experience and perspective. Non-defensively, non-judgmentally, just human to human. Crazy, right? But could you imagine how this would shift the culture? How it would create a step toward trust and collective efforts to remain committed and connected as the organization faces changes and works to move forward? I know that this kind of reality may feel a little pie in the sky, but I genuinely believe this is possible. For now, let's break down a bit further what the research tells us about what empathy is and how we engage it. Brene talks about these as empathy skills, and the research identifies five of them. These are skills we can learn, use, and hone that allow us to show effective empathy in whatever capacity we find ourselves in. It also allows us to model for others what it can look like and the resulting connection that leads to collaboration and meaningful outcomes that we all so desperately want and crave. Empathy skill number one, see the world as others see it, also known as perspective taking. I think that we all know and understand on a cognitive level that we each have a completely unique perspective of the world. Our lens of the world is shaped by our totally unique combination of experiences and no one else will have the exact same lens as any other person. Meanwhile, it's hard to live life constantly in a state of curiosity and seeking to understand everyone else's lens. So we get used to shortcutting and generalizing and we can start to operate from a default place of believing that others generally see things in a similar way to me, unless something becomes a glaring inconsistency between us. To engage empathically, we have to be intentional about our awareness that someone else's perspective is going to be different from my own. We need to not jump to the default and advice give like we know all about how they're feeling and what's going on for them. Empathy is about getting curious and taking the time to be a learner rather than a knower. Brene actually says this. She says, we cannot practice empathy if we need to be knowers. If we can't be learners, 
We cannot be empathic. This is how significant this piece is. We need to be willing to ask questions, hold our own sense of knowing in check, and create space to see from a different lens. Empathy skill number two, engage non-judgmentally. So here's the thing about judgment. We don't tend to judge in areas where we feel a strong sense of self-worth and confidence. That said, we do tend to be prone toward judging in areas that we are either sensitive toward ourself, where we are more likely to experience our own sense of shame or not enoughness, or in areas where we perceive someone else as doing worse than we are, and where we get to feel a sense of reducing our own shame by piling it on someone else who I compare as being worse than me. Now, in stating where we engage in judgment, can we draw awareness to the fact that judgment and shame are tied pretty tight? When we are outside of our own shame, we are less likely to judge. And when we judge, it is usually around issues where we feel some level of our own shame. And when we judge, it creates shame for the person we're judging. So when we're working to bridge connection, rumble vulnerability, and delve into empathy, we have to work to manage our judgments. And it helps to tangle with our own shame issues and work at building our own shame resilience in an effort to take some of our own shame out of the mix. Empathy skill number three, working to understand another person's feelings. Closely connected to this is skill number four, communicating your understanding of that person's feelings. Okay, in this skill, what we're really talking about is emotional literacy, which is the ability to recognize emotions in ourselves and others and label them using language that's accurate and appropriate. It means being able to sit with emotions long enough to identify them, which then lets us work with them. We can't be emotionally literate and engage in empathy if we're total feeling avoiders. It's just not possible. This is why this set of skills falls within this idea of rumbling with vulnerability, because it can be hard and uncomfortable and vulnerable, but it's also where all the good stuff of connection, meaning, and care lives. Now, if identifying and labeling emotions is a difficult area for you, jump to the show notes because I'm going to share one of my favorite tools with you that will help you to grow your feeling fluency. To do empathy, we need to be able to hear what someone is sharing with us, recognize the emotion indicators in their story, work to connect our own experience of that feeling to put ourselves in their emotional shoes, and then reflect what we hear they're feeling and that we're with them in it. Sometimes the reflecting part can feel risky, like you could get it wrong, but that's okay. People usually appreciate the effort and will often correct it if it doesn't fit. What matters is that you're working at getting it and that you're in the neighborhood of what they're feeling and willing to be with them in it rather than shy away or avoid it. You may actually engage in this piece repeatedly in an empathic interaction, unearthing a little more and a little more, gaining a sense of the depth and nuance involved in the situation and helping the person feel attended to in all the seen, heard, known, and valued kinds of ways. And finally, empathy skill number five, mindfulness. 
Okay, what does mindfulness have to do with empathy? It keeps us anchored to the present moment, the interaction we're in right now. It helps us stay out of our shame that leads into judgments and shuts down the empathy process. It helps us stay connected with the person and their story to be able to accurately interpret and label feelings. And it allows us to engage with our own felt experience of uncomfortable feelings without feeling flooded by them. Because if we have to connect to our own experiences of a feeling in an effort to really be with a person as they struggle through the feeling, we do risk treading into places that can be hard for us in a moment that we're working to be present for someone else. Mindfulness acts as a tether that keeps us in a range of our own emotional experiencing that allows us to be there for the person rather than swamped by our own stuff. Now, in this set of circumstances, mindfulness is likely not going to look like breaking into a meditative state or diving for a yoga mat. Really, what we're talking about is just paying attention and being present in the moment. To be empathic, we need to slow things down. To not want to rush to the next moment and skip this discomfort. Or to wish we hadn't walked into this interaction. We need to just be there. Fully in it. Now that we've anchored empathy and the skills that connect to it, let's talk about how it fits into this framework of daring leadership that we've been discussing. To lead is to help bring out the best in people in an effort to support them in bringing out the best in what they do, which benefits the organization by offering the best service or product. Within large corporations, a lot of dollars have been spent trying to find the secret code to maximize productivity without quashing innovation. And what has all that human resources research shown? When people feel seen, heard, known, and valued in their work, they bring their best selves and do their best work. And when you promote this culture within teams, you get the best out of a group of people who are passionate about moving a company forward together because they feel in it together, not against the system, which is often the way frontline workers feel banded together, but in it together for the sake of getting to where they collectively want to go. Within first response and frontline systems, leadership happens at various levels. And we have the ability to choose to engage as the type of leaders we wish to see and model a way that others will take notice of and want to emulate too. We can check in with each other, not just to vent, but to really hear each other out and build each other up. We can strengthen each other. And right now we need this more than ever because we're losing amazing people left, right, and center. If we all work to pitch into this effort, we would be recipients of the benefits of this too. It's not meant as a give with no take. We can create something reciprocal and mutual, and we are all strengthened by it. As always, I realize that working to upend long entrenched systems can seem like a daunting task, but it has to change because how it operates right now is so incredibly unacceptable and toxic. It's hurting people all the way down the line, and we have to find ways to change it. I'm so grateful that you're here and willing to entertain your involvement in a revolution of sorts. I hope that you'll find some ways to work into these spaces of rumbling with vulnerability and utilizing empathy skills actively 
in your workplace. Heads up, it's also a pretty awesome set of skills for your personal life too, like marriage, parenting, friendships. As you work at implementing these ideas at work or in your life, I would love to hear how it's going. Let me know by shooting me an email at support at thrive-life.ca or find me on Facebook or Instagram. Subscribe to the podcast in our email list to get updates and first access to new resources and share this resource with your colleagues. Let's make this idea of daring leadership spread like wildfire. You are doing brave work, not just in the job you do, although that's true, but in growing your wellness and considering ways to work at growing wellness for the organization within which you serve. I'm thankful for your efforts. Keep up the good work. And until next time, stay safe.